Hi guys, you're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. We love the EFL. You must love the EFL, because you wouldn't be listening. You wouldn't have pulled up this pod, would you? It, unless you were, at the very least, curious uh, to hear what's going on and, and to see what we think about it. And that's good, because that's what we're going to talk about today, starting with the championship, uh, George. And uh, one of my smoother intros, that, but now I've ruined it. Uh, <laughs> Norwich and Leeds... Pulling clear at the top of Sky Bet Championship with two wins, uh, but neither of them easy wins. Norwich beat Bolton 3-2. Uh, not all good news, uh, Ben says. Despite the late winner, another late winner for Norwich, such character, really playing till the end, great fitness and all of those things. But Ben, who was at the game, Norwich fan, says at 2-0 it should have been very comfortable. Bolton didn't threaten, really two long balls into the box. Awful defending, nearly cost us three points. It's quite worrying that we conceded two to one of the worst teams in the league, and that is something that needs work. At the same time, we've spoken about them almost every week in the last four, so there's not a huge amount to add, but continually impressed by this Norwich side. And they are uh, at a a point now, after 21 games, where they are uh, six points ahead of third place, And they are part of a stat that was read out on the Quest Highlights show, which was that in the last 10 seasons, the team top of the championship after 21 games has gone up automatically. And in seven of those seasons, they've gone up as champions. So uh, the last 10 at this stage, this is a very, very, very strong position. Well, especially because we've said all season that the teams who hit the top can't seem to press on. But um, in, in, in four of the last five games, they scored at least three goals. Uh, you've got to be a little bit concerned that they conceded two goals against a Bolton team who who can't really score goals. Mm. Um, but you mentioned the kind of the fight and the character. Um, Timo Pukki seems to be scoring enough uh, winners and late winners to, to last a career this season. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to be a little bit concerned. They, they nearly dropped those points, but at the same time, you know, you look at the form, you look at the way they've been going. Uh, barely a blemish since uh, since October, really. And, and that, you know, they're completely rightfully at the top. Uh, that cushion is going to be very useful for them going forward. There's a lot of teams in that chasing pack who I think will, will lay down a challenge. And it's probably unfair on Daniel Farker and his players to su- suggest they can continue winning and picking up points at the rate they have been in the last couple of months. But even so, they're definitely well set now for that, uh, for that promotion challenge. I think what's interesting is that a lot of the top teams have been in and around the top since the very beginning and have at various but fairly consistent, on fairly consistent occasions, you know, dropped points when they haven't been expected to or just been sort of consistently inconsistent. These are the teams five points below Norwich, whereas Norwich started poorly but have been nothing but sensational, as you say, since whatever it was, beginning of October, mid-September. So, I mean, that, that to me is a positive, that they that, that bad spell is so far in the distance now, whereas there are other teams who have been a mixture of good and bad the whole way through. Um, and that's what I think is good for Norwich. I will also say that... You know, I agree that conceding two to Bolton is surprising and worrying to an extent. Uh, closer came off uh, during the warm-up, so didn't play that one. Ben Godfrey at the back. I know there are a lot of Norwich fans wanted to see Godfrey play. He was he was very good on loan at Shrewsbury last season, playing defensive midfield. Played at the back on the weekend for Norwich. Uh, we bang on a lot about their young players, uh, Aaron's low, Cantwell, etc. Godfrey, another one uh, making a start. But I mean, I think the drop-off between the closer Zimmerman partnership and any other duo is quite big. So for Norwich, very important to get closer back as soon as possible. Uh, in terms of Leeds, 
you know, that, that's one injury for Norwich, but otherwise they're fairly blessed on that point. You cannot say the same about Leeds. Last week they lost uh, Cooper and Dallas as well for this game. So it was, you know, it's, it's a team that is unrecognisable from the team that you would have on the pitch if everyone was fit. And yet, another win for Leeds. They are five points ahead of, of third place. Uh, the Mighty Whites pod were at this one. They tweeted us to say Leeds better going forward than in the last few weeks. Saith started, which helps. That's something we've spoken about a lot. Uh, Naki Wells, very good for QPR. Expected more of Easy, given the reviews of him. Roof got two, should have had four or five. That was something I very much noted watching this one. But still, man of the match, his movement is fantastic. It seems absurd, and obviously, you know, you've always been a big fan of Roof's as, a, as a, an Oxford legend. The goalies are pulling off some unbelievable saves from his chances at the moment. That was very much in evidence on the weekend. Shackleton, the youngster, came in at right back, was very good. Uh, Calvin Phillips played centre-back, but apparently looked a bit out of place in the role. So that's something to keep an eye on because they're still winning. But these injuries, it's like, I don't know, it's like Bielsa's made a deal with the devil. Well, I mean, or some people said it was going to happen anyway. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned the the injury crisis and that the team would be unrecognisable. There's actually only three changes from their starting 11 on the first game of the season to their starting 11 on the weekend. Obviously, it's in defence where where, where they're lacking players. Those three players that that currently are unavailable are Luke Ayling, um, Cooper and Berardi. Um, But except for that, in terms of going forward and, and, and the person they've got at their disposal to do so, is largely the same. I mean, size has come in from, from the wilderness off the bench because of injuries, but uh, I think you and I both agree that's probably no bad thing. Um, Pontus Janssen's now back in at the heart of the defence, which at the beginning of the season was a massive loss as well. So whilst obviously the squad is threadbare now, you're looking at the bench and there aren't many options for them to bring on. In terms of actual personnel, it's not like they're really battling against, uh, you know, they're not losing all of their quality or all of their goals. In terms of, of attacking personnel, um, you could argue that this was the, the plan from the word go. But, you know, if you read Phil Hayes' article in the Yorkshire Evening Post last week about the injuries, I think it was 77 absentees from matchday squads already this season, which is uh, pretty unbelievable. And that was before the weekend as well. So they've got to be a concern. But I think at the moment, they're almost getting away with it. The players who are important to them are the ones who, who are currently, um, you know, there, there are exceptions, as mentioned, um, but they're still able to field an 11 um, who are fairly solid. Whether or not that can continue if there are more injuries, I doubt it because they're threadbare. But it's, you know, it's not perilous quite yet. Fourth best attack in terms of goals scored, second best defence in terms of goals against. So uh, regardless of injuries, you've got to give Bielsa so much credit for maintaining uh, the, the quality of performance and certainly the quality at the back, which is going to uh, take you a long way. Uh, there's a five-point gap now to Sheffield United. They were 2-0 winners against Reading. Blades Analytic, who we love on Twitter, you must follow him on Twitter. He's sent in his analysis Reading had all of the ball first half in this one, pushed back United as Wilder looked to set us up in a counter-attack system, which was possibly a sort of trial plan B, which Sheffield United have possibly been lacking this season. But he says it didn't work for us. We switched at half-time. Duffy came on and changed the game with his control in deep areas and occupied Reading's defence with the front two, allowing more control in the final third. Sharp doing what he does. No one scored more, has scored more in the six-yard box than him this season. Norwood, some exceptional passes for Reading. They worked hard, but had zero quality in attack or creativity. Rinomoto looked lively. He's the youngster that's been getting uh, a few more starts in recent weeks. I don't think we can add much more to that from a Sheffield United point of view. Standard from uh, Blades Analytic, who just provides brilliant Sheffield United analysis. Um, so Reading, George, they sacked... 
Paul Clement last week. Uh, went into this one with a caretaker. Still haven't appointed anyone as we speak on Monday evening. Uh, were you surprised to hear that Clement had been sacked? Was it necessary in your eyes for them to, to survive this season? Possibly. I mean, for the, uh, for the day job, I had to uh, do BBC Radio Berkshire um, on Saturday to, nice. ru- to run through the, uh, the runners and riders of, of who's going to be taking over. And, and with A.D. Williams, who, of course, was part of that um, great Reading team from, from 10, 15 years player. ago, which he, he definitely referenced to live on air as well. He said, you know, <laughs> the likes of Jamie Curriton and myself have now left the club and we're not there anymore, which I thought was quite nice, um, <laughs> making sure people remember. It's just like um, us bringing up the Huddersfield promotion tip yeah, exactly. every now and then. Um, but it, <laughs> Uh, it just seemed to me like th- the job he was doing had never really deteriorated where he came in and, you know, well um, versed in, in saying this, but but they picked up the points to keep them up. But but arguably um, the performances weren't particularly good at that stage. Um, and then this season, they've been pretty ropey all season. The, the only thing that seems to have changed is they've actually started picking so he started scoring goals in the last few weeks. So you're saying it hasn't? Um, it didn't deteriorate, but it was never good. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just think uh, if he was untackable, if he if he was was the man to lead them six weeks ago, I don't really see what's changed. Um, but that's not to say I think he didn't deserve to go. I, I, I don't think they were very good ever under Paul Clement. So for, in that case, I guess it's <laughs> it's a fair decision. I mean, Luis Castro seems to be the person who they want to bring in. Um, it's very hard to know much about him. He, he managed Porto brief, briefly, so he's obviously got some calibre. Um, he's now managing a team uh, in, in the in, a, in the Liga Nosh, so he's you know still managing at a high level. Um, how he's been been pinned down and as, as as the person they want to. I mean, it's, it's rare, I would say, in these occasions to see managers coming in from the continent who are already employed at clubs. Normally, it's managers who who are out of work who come in. Um, so to be you know looking to pay compensation to uh, to a fairly big team is going to cost them a few quid so they must be really impressed by him um, I'm not sure where they've got that 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 from I don't know how they've pinpointed him as being the man to do so but well there's there's thoughts that Kia Jurabchan the super agent is very much involved now how much we're not sure but uh, I mean there was a there was an article that I read which said they're going to get Castro in and he's going to have 100 million pounds to spend uh, in January and in the summer now I mean they he, they cannot they can't spend 100 million no. pounds and, and also, they, they would fall foul so quickly but even if they had they don't have that money anyway so <laughs> I just don't understand that just seems, seems it, it was a bit odd but the other funny thing in that article was that and I'm not saying any of this is poorly reported this obviously comes from somewhere but the the suggestion was that Jarabchan's been in the shadows for a while at Reading and has been involved in some transfers and the list of transfers that they said he'd been involved in were like Orlando Saar and three like terrible signings that yeah. haven't done anything none of whom are there anymore like they've all gone back to where they came from none of them contributed at all and you just think if that's true why are they asking him to have more influence like what are they? But what think, do they think is going to happen? I think you can often with that. It, it's just purely financial. Um, where you know, I think a similar thing maybe happened at Oxford last season, where some pretty weird signings came in, and the likes of Gino Van Kessel and Dwight Tiendali. I'm pretty sure that they weren't um, the recruitment team's uh, selections of players. But I think if you enter into an agreement with an agent that you, you're going to be you know, get players maybe on the cheap, um, which you may not be able to access before that, and even if you're not getting the money back. Um, in sale value it's, it's a way of operating and it's a way of cutting costs as well if you don't need a recruitment team because you're going to be um, afforded these players so I mean I'm not an expert on what's going on at Reading but um, yeah it's, it, it doesn't seem particularly 
uh, exciting to me as an outsider looking in. But but having said that, I think that, that they were heading one way under Paul Clement and that was down. So Yeah, they've had this terrible record just after half-time in games this season. Their, their goal difference in the 15 minutes following the interval, minus six, which when you think about, you know, getting the players in, having a quick word with them after 45 minutes uh, with, without being able to talk to them and getting them set up for the second half. I mean, that is pretty much unforgivable. Castro, as you say, the favourite, currently managing in Liga Nos, or as the Sun call it, Liga Hippie Crack. Uh, we're going to move on to, uh, well, what are we going to talk right, Piers, about? how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> a Derby beat 10-man Wigan. Uh, I would have really liked to see that game 11 v 11 for a bit longer. Um, Cal Naismith, former winger at Portsmouth, been playing left-back for Wigan in the last few weeks, been talking about how he's trying to adapt to the role. Really, really needless or disappointing red card, I think, from Wigan fans' point of view, and that is the risk when you are trying to, to sort of change players' positions in mid-season, uh, and that really spelt the end for Wigan, uh, who, who did well, but, but Derby got the win there with a, a goal from Marriott. Middlesbrough went down to 10 men with an almost identical red card uh, within a few minutes of, of the same red at Wigan and went down to Blackburn. Bradley Dack was on good form again, but Borough came back with 10 men uh, to equalise and share the points in that one. A fantastic goal from Asomba Longa. He will have enjoyed that because he's been written off a little bit, I think it's fair to say, in the last few months. And Hugh Gill uh, coming into the team was a threat to him, but Asomba Longa showing his class. And West Brom Villa... George on Friday night was unbelievably lively. James was at this one, said, still seething from the handball equaliser. I think we can understand that. Would have been happy with the point before the game. We look great going forward, but desperately need a new goalie and left back Nyland and Taylor not good enough to get us up. Tammy Mr. Sitter for 3-1. El Ghazi's second. Yes. Um, would have been happy with the point before the game, says James, but at the risk of taking this Villa stuff too far, um, you know, would have been very, very good for that win, wouldn't they? Yeah, as someone who you know tipped them up to uh, to win the league about two weeks ago at, at twenty-two to one, it's, it was frustrating again to see them sacrifice a, a you know a lead, uh, sacrifice three points as they did against Forest as well. Um, but wow, I mean, going forward, they are something else at the moment, and it's amazing to see, and it's good to see for Villa fans who've had to endure I mean I know it sounds strange to say it given they got to play our final last season but they haven't really been able to enjoy themselves for a long time and I think that after the derby win against Birmingham uh, winning that game 2-1 would have been pretty special but instead it's the baggies who uh, who end up with the last laugh and I'm sure they would have gone into the game hoping to get a win um, but when you score an injury time uh, equaliser in that style I think most West Brom fans would rather score a handball than a, <laughs> than a fair goal than a derby game um, both teams, yeah, both teams look like they're going to be uh, very good going forwards. Uh, Villa's defensive issues is still very obvious. Um, one rumour last week was that uh, a friend of John Terry's, Ashley Cole, was a name being linked yeah. to, uh, to, uh, to... I don't necessarily think uh, that'll happen. I can't really see it myself. Sounds like a terrible idea. It does sound like a bad idea. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm sure they will invest in January. Um, I think that, you know, as he mentions, goalkeeper and left-back do seem like the obvious uh, places to to reinforce but um, you know Dean Smith has got them playing this good football now and got them scoring goals you've got to hope that he can tighten them up at the back to ensure that they pick up the points that their performances obviously deserve some good data tweeted by Fox Punter uh, which is a service that we enjoy very much enjoy following them on Twitter at Fox Punter about Dean Smith saying his stock is through the roof right now. So for those of you who um, believe in, enjoy XG stats, on the day he left Brentford 
uh, in the XG league table in the championship. For XG ratio, Brentford were top ahead of Sheffield United and Leeds and Aston Villa at that point were 18th in the league under Steve Bruce and since Dean Smith's arrived at Aston Villa, if you take the XG table from that moment, Aston Villa top of the league ahead of Norwich and Leeds and Brentford down in 19th under Thomas Frank. So uh, as Mike Holden, as Fox Bunter would say, uh, stock very much through the roof. And another something that we got from Twitter, uh, we really do follow some proper goodens. Stuart Reid, who's a, a set-piece guru, he notes that 37 of West Brom's 103 corners faced have now been short corners, which is about 36%. The league average of short corners faced without West Brom is 12.62. So Stuart says, interesting how having a tall side, which West Brom surely do, can influence an opponent's approach when it comes to set pieces. Anyone whose teams are coming up against West Brom soon, look out for that. Look out for plenty of short corners. We really like that sort of analysis. Great stuff, Stuart. Thanks for that. And we're going to touch on some very worthy away wins in the championship now. Bristol City beating Birmingham. We didn't see this one coming, George. Uh, you certainly didn't. Your pick on the betting show was Birmingham, and, and they were unbeaten in 15 home league games. Chris who's a Blues fan, was at this one and said the conditions contributed to a poor game. Blues couldn't get hold of the ball. Bristol City kept it well and pressed our midfield effectively. Didn't create too much for all the possession. Uh, Birmingham could have nicked a point and probably should have had at least one penalty. So that was a very important win, I, I feel, for Lee Johnson because he's had fans on his back in recent weeks and in the rain against... Birmingham, uh, you know, Chris has said it didn't help Blues and they couldn't keep hold of the ball, but that would be a game where I'd expect a sort of 60% possession Bristol City, 40% Birmingham, you'd almost feel like that would play into Birmingham's Well, that's hands. exactly but, what it but, was. Uh, but a great but a great, well, in that case yeah, you know, not well, to dismiss what Chris says, but no, well done Bristol City I, for, I mean, for making think, the most of it. I don't think Birmingham are going to dominate possession in many games this season I mean, it, it's all very direct, isn't it? Which is no slight on them, it's just playing to their strengths and it's worked very well this season um, but I was, yeah, I was, I was surprised uh, to see Bristol City get the win. Um, who are we to doubt the the streaky nature of, uh, of Lee Johnson? Because <laughs> yeah. he's uh, having said, I, did, I wasn't sure if it was a streak. He's, but you can't he's back them, down. and you can't doubt them because either yeah. way, you end yeah, up looking I know. stupid. I know, but yeah, it, it's a massive um, result for them. It's, it's a huge goal for uh, for Jiju, who's obviously had a really difficult season uh, coming back from injury. Um, and, and needs the confidence and that's two goals now in his last three which hopefully we'll see him get back to the form he showed in, in snatches last season um, but it kind of sums up Bristol City that of their 21 games played so far this season they've won eight lost eight drawn five um, it tends to go one, one way or the other uh, but this is in terms of, of, of a confidence boost and showing that they can do it um, going to Birmingham ending that run keeping a clean sheet as well really really impressive Last week we were asked you boys reckon Forrester contenders yet when they beat Bottom club Ipswich 2-0 at home. And we said, that's not really the game. It's really not the game to be, uh, to be asking that question or following that game. Maybe let's talk after a couple of games against Preston and the likes. Well, Nottingham Forest nil. Preston won on the weekend. We had a lot of eyes on this one. Patrick said Preston looks solid in defence and hopeless going forwards. Forest were woeful all over the pitch. Um, he only remembers two shots on target. Still managed to have a great time. So... Not our most in-depth <laughs> scouting report we've ever got, but Patrick, having a great time, and that is ultimately uh, what matters. Jack was at this one, said, a brilliant shithouse performance from Preston, and Rudd recovering well from his horror 
against Birmingham. One defeat in 11 feels so good after the start of this season. And Matthew, the Nottingham Forest fan, says no idea how we didn't put three or four past them. They had one chance and took it. Gallagher was impressive in the middle for them. Nemecha came on and caused us problems. Having Dawson injured and Figueredo suspended was tough and showed our lack of depth at CB. So I guess here it's a case of more props to Alex Neal and to Preston. Well, yeah, I just can't believe what I've just heard. What's that? Well, you just dropped, you just dropped the S-bomb on live on well, I think on, on we're live. allowed that, don't you? Well, I think we're going to have to have an explicit sign next to... <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a huge moment for the podcast. Yeah. I'm going to be effing and blinding all over the shop now. I feel like I've said something like that before. <laughs> Maybe not. We'll Maybe find not. out, hopefully. Well, I mean, I'll do the old uh, commentator. Sorry for any foul language you've just heard there. Yeah. Also, um, I'm not good enough at editing to start finding bleep noises and putting those in. So, okay. Uh, for, for those... This is it. ...who it's are offended... It's slope. <laughs> for those who are offended by... I, would, and I should say this by what Jack said, not what I said, but what I repeated, <laughs> then uh, apologies, please get in touch. We'll sort out some sort of compensation. <laughs> uh, I've forgotten what the question was now. Preston. Something about Preston. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really much to say, is there, except for the fact that it's, um, it's just more, more of the same. Another, another really big performance for them. Um, they seem to... It's mightily impressive how they've turned their season around, really. Um, Forest uh, down to earth with a bit of a crash. Um, but maybe just a reminder that they're not quite the real deal yet. Um, Lots of injuries still for Preston as well, of course. Well, I know, and inter- interesting to see Lewis Malt actually kind of finally um, scoring Tapping goals. In from one yard. Well, but even so, just scoring goals in, in, in England, um, which is something he hasn't done particularly much of. So, um, But, you know, there's no reason to panic as a Forest fan, but I think if you're, if you're a Preston fan, you can be pretty happy with how the season's starting to pan out after what was a, a tough start. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Stoke moved into the top 10 beating Ipswich 2-0. I mean, if we're going to tell Forest fans they can't get excited after beating Ipswich 2-0 at home, yeah. then we can't really tell Stoke fans to get too excited. We'll talk about Stoke in future weeks. Uh, I feel like, again, for Ipswich, there are small positives to cling on to, but ultimately this is a, a, a team that is losing matches. This is another manager who is struggling to arrest that slide and who is making lots of changes each game in order to try and hit upon a winning formula. Not quite working at the moment. You can certainly say the same about Thomas Frank at Brentford. 2-0 down, or sorry, 3-0 down to Swansea at home after, what was it, 25, 30 minutes. uh, An embarrassment, really, at the back for Brentford. And uh, another, another horrendous day at the office. And it's been such a tough few weeks for the club on the pitch, off the pitch, that it seems really, really difficult to find too many positives to say. And, and there's a point where actually things are going so badly that us trying to desperately find positives uh, probably doesn't feel that great either. So there's been a lot of discussion for Bees fans online um, and very, very in-depth discussion about Thomas Frank and whether he should stay, whether he should go, whether they should stick, or whether they should twist. Now, you know, there are guys like... Um, Greville on Twitter, David Anderson, who are uh, analysing this far better than than we probably could uh, week to week. But Dazza was in touch with us saying they're they gifting goals again, no intensity till the second half again, individual errors costing us again. It's pretty grim. Swansea on the ball were everything we used to be. Nice passing, attacking intent, full of tricks, not so great at the back though. So we also got a, um, a direct message talking about the problems at Brentford um, and again, <clears throat> not going to go into them too much in depth because I think we've done that and it is uh, such a miserable time at the moment. But a couple of interesting points in the message we got. A lot of players are out of contract in the summer and there's some suggestion that some of them are, uh, have downed tools 
Um, the squad is obviously not put together with a relegation scrap in mind. So uh, this person believes bees are in big trouble. Uh, they get the sense that the club still thinks Frank has a lot to offer tactically, but there are also rumours that the players find him overly technical and don't understand what he's asking. And the last point, George, is that they expect another assistant coach arriving this week, which could be Michael Appleton, could be Lee Carsley, could yeah, be but Keith like, Miller. A couple of things. I mean, it's funny to say this... this um you know, this team, this squad hasn't been, hasn't been built for a relegation scrap. I mean, the way to avoid or get out of a relegation scrap is to have a better squad than everyone else's. So that's not really an issue. You don't want cloggers because you're because you're rubbish. That's not really how it works. Um, but, in, and the, the Appleton one's interesting. I mean, he said, when we did the podcast with him, he, he kind of said that he, whilst he likes coaching, he, he found... The, the thing that really he really loved about management was being part of the club and being part of recruitment meetings and understanding the business behind um, the club itself. So I would, you know, when I spoke to him about it, I was got the impression that he wouldn't be jumping at a chance to be another assistant coach. Obviously, he's desperate for a job. So, you know, maybe times have changed in the last six weeks or eight weeks since we since we chatted. But I got the impression that he wanted to be the guy running the club, not the guy um, assisting. Well, it might not necessarily be that long. No, but he, even but even could be. but even Brentford just seems a bit of an odd um, fit for that reason. Anyway, I mean, I can see why it would fit too because he's intelligent and he's a kind of a good student of the game and he's a very good coach. But at the same time, you know, that is a club that's run in a very different way where he probably wouldn't have much say, even if he was the main man in what was going on off the grass, as he called it. Um, so, I mean, I, I think he'd be a, a great fit there, and, and there's no denying um, my adoration of him, but. Uh, but it just seemed like not necessarily what he was kind of told us he was looking for at the time. But, but you know, it's a great club and, and I'm sure he'd buy into the ethos there very quickly. Still confident, I am anyway, that in a month's time, Bees will be more than four points above the relegation zone, which is where they are at the moment. Do you feel the same? I yeah. Just, I mean, I mean it's, they're it's, below it's, Sheffield Wednesday, which yeah. seems remarkable. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's got to be a concern. I, I thought that getting that possibly undeserved equaliser against West Brom was going to be a bit of a turning point. And then, so then to concede a goal after a minute at home straight afterwards was, was an absolute nightmare. Um, the next few games are very winnable. Um, they go to Hull, then they host Bolton. Um, I think we can be pretty sure that if they don't get three or four points from those two games, then Thomas Frank probably won't be at the club for Christmas. Well, it's a funny one. They, because they promoted him from within and they've done so before, there's a sense that they are... Um, quite loyal in, in that sense to those who have been part of the system. Of course, uh, we have also seen evidence with Marinus Dijkhausen back at the start of the 15-16 season that they will also make uh, big decisions fairly swiftly if they feel like they need to. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks at Bees. Uh, we're going to go to League One now. Now, before we say anything, I want to say that our team of the week this week comes from League One, our team of the, the week this week, their manager appears on the Not The Top 20 podcast at the end of this podcast. So if you're a team in League One and you think you've got a good result this weekend and you don't hear us talk about you in the next 10 minutes, I suggest you, you, you just sort of keep going because there's going to be some good things. And uh, we've been very lucky to be able to talk to a couple of managers on the pod. And uh, the interview at the end of this one is probably my favourite ever. Um, some really, really strong um, thoughts, opinions, and uh, yeah, some happy days. So we're going to start with Wally Downs being appointed at Wimbledon. We haven't discussed this appointment since it happened. Um, I guess there's, there's two sides to it. First of all, 
the first game, one all draw from behind. Great goal from Bartram to equalise. This was at home to Rochdale. Adam was at this one and said Wimbledon was second to most balls first half, but came out in the second and dominated play for 30, 35 minutes. Still need to make the most of their chances and need to carry on second half form to the next game. Nightingale impressed as the new captain. Uh, what did you think of the appointment of Wally Downs? I feel like a few weeks ago you had some fairly strong thoughts on it. Well, I still do. I mean, Just it, remind us what they are. Well, I think if you're, if you're just looking at, at the level of, of managers in League One, I mean, it's nothing against Wally Downs whatsoever. Um, and as, as a coach, he's obviously very well um, respected and as a as an AFC Wimbledon, or Wimbledon, I should say, legend, uh, the same can be said. But it, the calibre and the quality of, of, of coaches at that level, just it seems... Strange um, to me that he is now sitting in the in the dugout as a League One manager. Um, it seems strange as well that seemingly AFC Wimbledon fans were, were pretty much on board with the appointment. Um, although I think the, the time it took for it to happen maybe forced their hand somewhat there. Um, this isn't to say he's not going to be good or he's not going to be impressive, but but given what Neil Ardley did at the club, it, it, I, I just cannot um, fathom the idea that they are better off with, with, with Wally Downs in that role now as opposed to Ardley. Um, but we'll, I mean, we'll we'll see. Uh, he doesn't have much managerial experience. Um, he hasn't managed, in hasn't coached in, in in the UK for a while as well. Um, it seems like a last roll of the dice about a board who hadn't done their due diligence and hadn't done their work behind the scenes to make sure they were going to have a good replacement to come in um, and to pull the trigger or not pull the trigger because it seemed like it was an, an amicable exit, but to to end relationships with Ardley without some understanding that they were going to be able to get in someone of, of at least equal class um, seems like a massive oversight and any ideas that a one-all draw at home to Rochdale's a you know a good start despite coming back from behind I think a, a misplaced I mean this is a team who yeah. have, have been so strong at home for, for the last couple of seasons who are fighting off relegation hosting a team who are going to be down in the bottom half as well um, and they've, they've dropped more two more points how often do you see a manager get sacked and get a job before his replacement is appointed at the former club? Yeah. That is uh, very and rare. And obviously, Kevin Nolan was, we are led to believe, yeah, of course. asked about the job and, and said no. So there was which a bit is, of a which delay. Is, which is a bit, of a, you know, a bit of an indictment in itself. That you know, Why wasn't he interested in a, in a job at a League One level when he was just relieved of his duties at a, at a club in the relegation zone in League Two? That's a fair point. Well, Wally Downs was, of course... Uh, invaluable at Reading during their record championship winning season 2005-2006. He joined Steve Koppel at Reading and took the job of coaching Reading's defence. As a result, says Wikipedia, Downs was a major reason for Reading's impressive defensive display where they had the best statistics defensively in the entire football pyramid and were promoted to the Premier League with a record 106 points. Now, this is all quite a long segue into the much teased the much bigged up and I'm worried slightly anticlimactic Wally Downs story uh, during that season during Reading's 2005-2006 championship season probably just towards the end as they were cantering to the title uh, I met Wally Downs at 14 at the time I was very um, excitable as I still am but especially then and uh, I was very excited about Reading's record championship winning season anyway it was nothing really to do with that I was at Windsor races and uh, with, with a great friend of the pod and uh, we'd been following Reading that year and we took our spots in the grandstand whatever you call the stands at a, at a horse racing 
venue, stadium, course, track. And um, just before a race was starting, obviously too young to have uh, put, a, put a bet on the race, uh, we realised that Wally Downs was standing next to us. And in my memory, he was wearing Reading tracksuit. Now, I, I think that's probably not true, but you know what happens over, over the course of a decade. Anyway, Wally Downs was there, and he said to us, who have you guys backed in this race? And we said, sorry, sir, I'm, I'm making a sound out like sort of something from <laughs> Oliver Twist. Um, and we said, no, we've not, we've not backed anything here because we're not allowed to bet. And he said, okay, well, if this horse wins and you cheer it on down the home straight, I'll give you a tenner each. And we cheered this horse, obviously, because Wally Downs asked us to, and the horse won. And he gave us a tenner each. <laughs> couple, of, couple of fizzy pots. I don't know why. I don't know why it's become the 1960s. Is that, yeah. I mean, I'm, but, tr- I'm trying to make sure you're not going to be liable for any, um, you know, if you're not putting Wally in, the, in trouble here for, for betting on behalf of a minor. I think you should be okay. But after his, after his Twitter storm, um, you know, it's probably the last thing he needs is more negative PR. Um, but, you know, that's gen- genuinely the first time I've ever heard that. And I, um, you know, I might ask uh, Wally if he's got any tips. I don't know, give them to me after what I just said about him. But um, <laughs> it's a good story. Sam Ricketts lost his first game as Shrewsbury manager. It was an even game away at Burton, but Shrewsbury didn't take their chances. That is fairly standard for them this season. How many times have we said that? Luton and Portsmouth in League One, uh, they recorded routine home wins. Luton are now into the top two. Pompey are cruising, as we know. And the reason that Luton are in the top two is because they've played two more games than Sunderland, whose game against Accrington very entertainingly called off in the rain with the score at 1-1 after 70 minutes. That was Accrington's record ever attendance at the Wham Stadium. And my first question was, will that still stand in the record books? If the match has to be replayed, I think so. that record now goes. Ex-punched. Now, will they get the same crowd in on a Tuesday what night? Will be a Tuesday night? You would suggest not. Well, I saw I saw some guys talking about how they didn't really enjoy their chilly time on the on the terrace there. So uh, there might be a couple of people who. Um, oh no, it's a great place to go. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I I'm, not, I'm not saying that. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Maguire's goal was uh, was something pretty pretty awesome to watch as a as a fan it was you know reminding me of a goal he scored for Oxford and his celebration in front of the Accrington fans I feel like Accrington are like one of the clubs that everyone loves yeah so to see someone just mugging off their fans like that was um was, was quite interesting Luton I think Luton and Accrington have a bit of beef after last year but yeah. um but yes no you're right and and that was uh yeah if you haven't seen the highlights of that go and watch it because it sounds like you know George enjoyed Maguire's goal I very much enjoyed the equaliser for Accrington which was the sort of splashiest soggiest goal you're likely to see um, um, outside of, of the very top, there were some big games in the battle for playoff places in League One, uh, with Blackpool beating Charlton. That was a big one, that Blackpool and Charlton have been in that sort of diaspora of teams fighting for sixth place. Uh, we've had this top five, more or less, for the last two or three months, but there's been a, a battle for sixth, which now Blackpool are, can consider themselves very much in. Charlton were in sixth after an excellent month of November, but it's Donny who have le- leapfrogged them, <laughs> leapt frogged them, um, and, uh, and they thrashed Bristol Rovers 4-0. Doom and gloom at the Memorial Ground, but positives for Doncaster, uh, uh, another epic performance from Herbie Kane, on loan from Liverpool, of course, just looks like an unbelievable player. He obviously was poached by Liverpool from the Bristol City Academy, led to believe quite a big Bristol City fan, so that would have been big for him. Have you seen... 
John Marquis in the last few weeks has scored a couple of like goals from outside the box, which mm. is confusing. But also, like his technique for his long range shooting, it looks like he's never taken a long shot in his life, and he he hits it in such a weird way, and yet it keeps going in. So I, I was quite enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, he's never really had any anyone else. I mean, we spoke about it on the betting show. It's the first time he's had help scoring goals, and mm. he's taking up positions that he's maybe never been in before, yeah. at, least, at least in the last couple of uh, couple of seasons at Donny. Yeah, Malik Wilkes at the double in that one on loan from Leeds. Gillingham beat Scunthorpe away from home. Dean Parrott looked brilliant in this one. We've mentioned him so many times before this season. When him and Tom Eaves are on top form, Gillingham are good. When one or both of them is not on top form, Gillingham are not good. Now, they're in 16th at the moment, seven points from safety. Um, so it, it's looking okay for Jills, but there was a time where we started getting a bit worried about them. Instead, George, we are even more worried about Scunny than we yeah. were before. They've lost eight of their last ten. Yeah, really, really poor. Another another game where they've just conceded chances after chance. Um, you've, you've got to be really concerned for them as well. You'd, you'd have hoped that, that if McCall was going to be the man to turn it around, he'd have been able to do so. Um, I thought they were pretty appalling when I saw them uh, live, and they haven't had the time or the or the, the ability to turn it around either so um they are currently outside the relegation zone somehow um they're four points clear of it but you have to think that it's going to take either a turnaround of, of fortune for them or those bottom four teams continuing to be poor uh, to keep them out of it because um yeah they, they look fairly desperate Plymouth came back three times against Bradford to draw that game three all now Fox Bunter tweeted some xg numbers uh, which uh, just can't be right. I mean, it had Plymouth's XG at about six, which seems absurd. I think there was well, some suggestion that uh, one of the chances certainly was a, a rebound from an initial shot in which the XG to... had added it up twice to about 1.3 for the same incident. But, I mean, either way, ultimately, Plymouth are giving away goals like such... I mean, it's just such bad defending. Jack Payne, uh, of course, for Bradford was making the most of that. And there was an epic at Walsall where Coventry looked to be more or less, not cantering, but certainly strolling to a, a 1-0 win there. And uh, Coventry-born Luke Leahy scored two in injury time to, to win it for Walsall. An interesting uh, penalty decision at the end there. Either, I mean, it looked a bit soft, but if it was a pen, then you've got to ask questions of the defender there. And then... Just before we move on to League Two, a reminder that if you support a League One team that got a very good result this weekend, and we haven't mentioned you here, and you're wondering, that's a clue in itself, uh, then uh, stick around because we've got a bit of League Two action and then we've got an interview with your manager. So in League Two, new managers again. George, tough start for Neil Ardley away at Mansfield. This one's a bit of a, bit of a gimme, isn't it, really? Because Mansfield are looking ominously good. Yeah, I don't think you have to be too concerned I mean it's, it's, it's obviously not ideal but, um, but this, well, this can't be a game that he can be expected to come in and, uh, and work wonders straight away um, good to see CJ Hamilton getting on the score sheet twice um, who he flagged his yeah, form on player. EFL Matters the other day he's looking really really electric at the moment um, and, and Mansfield after that slip a couple of weeks ago and now back back on the winning trail and, uh, and look like they're going to be right up there for the rest of the season yeah they do don't they I think it's five wins in their last eight they're right up there in the form table um, you know this was a, a, a week in League 2 in which six of the top seven won so Berry won MK Dons won Tranmere they all won at home games you would have expected them to win Lincoln got 
a, a win away at Stevenage 1-0, which doesn't leap off the page, but I think dig a little bit deeper, that is a fantastic result. Stevenage have beaten MK Dons at home. They've beaten uh, Colchester at home. And Lincoln, who were, were one win in six before that game, have, have gone there and won 1-0. John Akinde penalty. How many times have we seen that over the last five, six years? Um, but massive credit. And, and actually, I think without wanting to exaggerate too much, the, the look of the final whistle celebrations for Lincoln, um, they, were, they were taking that one unbelievably seriously. And you can kind of understand why, uh, given the recent form, given um, we and others have been talking a lot about MK Dons, we've been talking about Berry and others, uh, been a bit quiet on Lincoln since the start of the season, but you know, two points off the top with the game in hand. So um, never, never rule them out, of course. Um, Sam was at that Mansfield game, I should say, uh, a nerveless all-round performance from Mansfield. And that's what they need, isn't it? Because they've been a good team for 18 months, really. Um, whether it's nerves, whether it's vulnerability, whether it's a bit of softness or, or whatever it's been, they've not quite reached the heights that we expected. So it's great to hear from a, a Stag's point of view that it was nerveless on Saturday against Notts County. CJ Hamilton attracting attention from higher clubs, says Sam. You can understand why he played as a striker on Saturday. Mellis running the show from number 10. County need a serious overhaul. I think that's that's not news. I'm sure Neil Ardley feels the same way. Certainly at the back, that side needs uh, a massive overhaul, as Sam says. So it will be fascinating to see what happens in January. There's a part of me that thinks the owner will uh, give Ardley a lot of money to spend in order to avoid relegation. But looking at Chesterfield's recent accounts that they released today for last season and their fact that they are very much going to be in the National League at least next season, if not beyond, uh, the dangers of relegation when you've spent a decent amount of money and when you're losing money are, uh, are major. So one to look out for. And a tough start for Sol Campbell, uh, a bit like Neil Ardley. When you go away to Colchester, very strong at home, you can't. There are already people tweeting, mostly Spurs fans, ha-ha, Campbell's lost his first two games. He hasn't. They drew to Newcastle in the checker trade, lost on trophies. Uh, on trophies. Lost, lost on trophies? <laughs> well, they, I mean, they would, yeah. Well, Newcastle haven't won many, but oh, yeah, yeah, they, they've lost they on trophies, <laughs> on penalties, and they've lost to Colchester on the weekend. But yeah, so tough start for Sol. Yeah, I mean, just jury's jury out, really. You can't really make a judgment now. I think it's one of those where if he's picking up, if they go and beat Colchester, you can put it in a tick, a tick in his column. And if, uh, and if they go and, and lose a tight game, then, you know, fair cop, go again next week. Well, that's lucky for him, isn't it? Just, yeah. Just completely... Well, I think you're going away to one of the t- kind of top seven in the league and, yeah. and you probably haven't had enough chance to really... Top three in the league, mate. Yeah, well, <laughs> top, top seven is top three. <laughs> uh, if you're third, you're in the top seven, so... Colchester actually um, in the top 24 teams in this league. Yeah. So, you know, you, ca- you cannot sniff at a, <laughs> at a, um, a performance. Uh, on a serious note, 54% possession for Macclesfield was something that stood out for me. Um, they signed Luther Blissett, didn't they? They signed Harry Smith in the summer six foot four six foot five plus and and they've been a very direct side they've only scored five goals of course from open play all season after 21 games which is quite miserable Uh, but 54 percent possession despite the fact they were behind and game state comes into it on these things you'd expect the team um, behind to have more of the ball but I, i was still surprised at that so that's something we'll look out for and colchester what a bizarrely low-scoring home form. They're very good at home. Six of their last nine games, home and away, have been 1-0. Uh, five of them wins. They haven't gone over 2.5, I think, in their last eight. So uh, they're sort of shutting up shop, and it's working for them. They're the, the third-best team in the league at the moment. Forest Green were our joint pick on the betting show. Never in doubt, was it? Was um, it? 
Well, I'd given up until I got a text from you with lots of capital letters in it, um, <laughs> especially down to 10 men as well. It's, I mean, this, both these two teams are just pretty hard to predict, really. Um, they seem to, I mean, it seems very Forest Green to be 1-0 down away from home uh, against one of the poorer teams in the league um, with 10 men and then suddenly score, to find a shooting boots and score twice in the last minute. It also feels very Yeovil to be 1-0 up at home to a team um, who uh, are playing against 10 men and conceding twice. Um, it's hard yeah it's hard what to make of either of it it's, it's a big result for us Green um, you have to say um, because they really need to press on now if they're going to match their ambitions um, and for Yeovil as well it's, it's looking fairly hairy I mean there's still that nice cushion um, ahead of Notts County where they're, they're five points clear of the zone but if Notts County do improve under Neil Ardley like we think um, that might close quite quickly but they do have a couple of games in hand on, on most of the league as well Miserable, miserable times at Yeovil when the, 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 the ire, the disdain being aimed at Darren Way, being aimed at, at the team after that game from fans who feel like their team is not being run with the, or their club rather, is not being run with the, the footballing best interests at heart. Uh, it, it's tough to watch and, you know, it was fantastic in terms of Forrest Green and, and Ruben Reid getting a goal, which... You know, when you've been written off somewhat like he has from, from the fans and to an extent from us who keep saying that they need another striker in, in, in January, got a goal, got an assist. So uh, well done, Forrest Green. It's been a strange start before we move on to our team of the week at Swindon other, under Richie Wellens. Uh, George, I know they're a club close to your heart. Um, he lost 4-0 in his first game, didn't he? I think it was against Carlisle in the league and then lost to Woking in the Cup second round. Uh, both of those about as bad as it, as it comes, really. But in the last three league games, three wins in a row, and it feels like, for Wellens, it's been a generally positive start, I think. Definitely. But, I, think, I think it has to be. Again, it's going back to, to, to where, you, where you put the, the weight of expectation when you think a manager can have, can have their input. And I think anyone who blamed Wellens for that first result was, was wider the mark. And I think now that... He's been at the club for a while, and they've, they've put up a bit of momentum together, and they've you know they're playing effective football and picking up points. This is where you're going to see, um, you know, the real effects of his management, and uh, and it's a fantastic start. And I think all all Swindon fans have got to be delighted with how it's going. Absolutely, our team of the week to finish off, and it's Wickham Wanderers. Of course, it is. They beat Barnsley one nil. Uh, we don't always use this as a reason for the team of the week, but. Uh, we do like to ask our friends at We Love Betting, who were the longest odds winners of the weekend? In the EFL, it was Barnsley this week beating... Uh, sorry, it was Wickham this week beating Barnsley at home. They broke a club record for six consecutive home league wins. And we heard from Tom, who's a Wickham fan, a great friend of the pod. He says, the best chairboys performance I can ever remember seeing, not troubled by Barnsley, save for the opening 10, maybe last five minutes. On your dinner, sensational Please, Millwall, let us keep him. Now, uh, great to get that message from Tom and that sort of positivity is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant to see. Um, amazing, really, that you've got a fan saying it's the best performance I can ever remember seeing, saying this is one of the best times in, in his 16, 20 years of supporting the club um, that he's had. And uh, Harry, on the other hand, he's, I imagine, happy, but he's decided to go down the more... Uh, Neggy route as I'd say he tweeted us to say I think it's time you started giving Wickham some praise regularly talked of as certainties to be fighting relegation on your pod but turning in some great results we took this quite seriously didn't we George so we thought yeah you're right Harry maybe we should start talking about Wickham a bit more so what did we go and do well you went and uh, interviewed their, uh, their gaffer 
um, which is very exciting indeed. I was sad I couldn't couldn't make it, but um, I know that you had a good chat with him, and and it's worth saying that. I think not only are Wickham possibly team of the week, but I think that both Gareth Ainsworth and, and Wickham can arguably be team of the last month or so because the, the turnaround's been impressive and, uh, and how far can they go? We spoke to Mr Ainsworth. He was entertaining as ever. Some very strong words for fans of rival teams, in fact, staff of rival teams, who might think that there's only one way that Wickham play and it's to do with Mr Akin Fenwa. Some very strong words about that and some very interesting thoughts on their recent uh, experience with the emergency loan system. Thanks so much to Wickham and Matt Cecil, the press officer, for, for arranging this for us. Uh, here's our chat earlier with Gareth Ainsworth. We've been joined by Wickham manager Gareth Ainsworth, uh, man of the moment in many ways with Wickham's sensational home form, breaking the record for consecutive home league wins this weekend with that win against Barnsley. And as such, Wickham, our team of the week. Gareth, uh, thank you so much for talking to us, first of all. Good to be on. Another hugely impressive home win. I want to start by talking specifically about the game on Saturday because as well as extending your unbeaten run, uh, it's another team towards the top end of the table that have come to Adams Park uh, and have left with Wickham having taken all three points. So how did that game against Barnsley play out? How, how did you set your team up uh, to do a job on Barnsley, which, uh, which of course you've ended up doing? Just uh, going into the Barnsley game, we... We knew that we were going to be up against a tough attacking side. They they go forward very well, and uh, and so we we did plenty of analysis on them and, and looking at what what gaps they left behind when they did go forward well, you know. So one thing was handling them going forward um, and and denying a bit of space in our half, and then going forward, how how could we hurt them? And uh, and we saw that you know there was a, there's a, a few gaps left because because they do go well so forward so well they they all want to go and score goals uh it was uh it was tough then for us to uh you know to to break them down but luckily we we managed to we got a corner um again something we worked on during the week in training and uh and the knockdown to Randall Williams ended up in the in the roof of their net which was a fantastic moment for everyone and everyone uh, everyone in the stadium it was uh yeah like you say the the sixth consecutive home win it was uh, it was an awesome day but um Believe me, it was uh, it was a lot more difficult than it than it looks. It's uh, it was uh, quite hairy at the end there. They put some serious pressure on us, but the lads the lads stood resolute and uh, managed to get the win. I mean, only two shots on target for Barnsley, only five overall. So you massively succeeded in denying them the sorts of goal scoring opportunities that they've been able to create all season. And with Kiefer Moore and Corley Woodrow up front, uh, sort of chances that they normally take. So a, a fantastic effort as well from. Well, from the back five uh, and from the the midfield players as well, I assume, because they've got plenty of threats in in midfield as well. Yeah, and, and I mean it's great that everyone mentions the back five, the midfield, but honestly, we defended from the front at times because we knew that they were going to be good on the ball. Uh, we knew that if we started uh, trying to close down in ones and twos, that they would pick us off. So it was a real team effort, you know. It was, and uh, and the fact that I didn't make any subs that day was, uh, I think, that was quite quite a powerful message as well that the 11 who went out there it, it they, they, they were so resolute and so solid that I didn't want to change it I thought these lot are doing the job they're doing exactly what we've asked and you know injuries or, or legs running out I, I would have had to change but they, they managed to keep going all game and I say the, the front two really worked their socks off and, and 
they they started the defensive line, if I will, around the halfway area, and uh, and it, it was great to see. But um, no, the Barnsley are a good side. I expect them to be right around the top at the end of the year, and uh, and that makes that win uh, even sweeter for me because that's uh, that's a big scalp against a, a big football club. We've got plenty of friends of the podcast, uh, Wickham fans. We had messages bigging up uh, on your Dinmer's performance and Randall Williams' goal. And of course, they've been big contributors this season from the wide positions. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, the front line because uh, in the absence of, of Adi Akinfenwa, who for many uh, neutral observers who don't focus too much on, on, uh, on Leagues 1 and 2, we've been trying to spread the word that it's not just about Adi Akinfenwa, although that's, that's uh, sometimes how people think because he's such a big character. Um, but you know, just looking at the, at the forward options that you have and that you've used over the last five, six games during this run, uh, on the weekend, Nathan Tyson and Alex Samuel uh, up front and on the bench, of course, Craig McHale-Smith, Scott Cashkett, um, Powers Cowan Hall, a, a forward and wide player as well. So it, it's it's amazing, really, that um, that you've got these all these different sorts of options, and it must be fantastic for you to to be able to to sort of pair any of, of any of the two of them and get different skill sets from them all. Yeah, and and that's that's important for me as well. And uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned Bale because. Of course, he's a huge character in it, and he's, you know, he's a minor celebrity in the lower leagues. And and what it does is, I think some teams and and some some clubs obviously they, they, they give a throwaway comment like Wickham Wanderers. We know what's coming. We know we know what they do, and, the, and they're referring to us going into Bayo Akinfenwa and sticking balls in the box. So there's a couple of things uh, I want to say about that. First of all, if everyone knows what we do, why don't they stop us? Because uh, it seems to be working, and, and the second thing is that then um, it's not what we do. We have so many ways of playing, and I think if anyone sat down, would come down and, and have a look and, and analyse what we do uh, without Bayo and the team, you know, it, it's fantastic play, and, and there's some fantastic movement from, as you say, Craig McHale Smith, Nathan Tyson, Alex Samuel, who's coming through like you wouldn't believe, Scott Kashka, Fred on your dimmer, Randall Williams. There's a whole list of names, you know. I don't want to leave anyone out, but <laughs> we we have this uh, we have this real counter-attacking, pacey way of playing, um, and it's great. It really is. It, it 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 used to annoy me at the start when people would say all they do is knock it into attacking fan. When now I smile inside because I know that they uh, that they want to say that, and, uh, and <laughs> really it's not the the whole truth. So uh, it is funny when I see some comments about um, and what we do, but. To be in the top ten in League One, you know, it's fantastic for us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good in a way to hear that there are uh, rivals in the league who aren't analysing you as closely as you're analysing them, because it sounds like um, your analysis team. I, I, I saw you mention um, one of the analysts that joined in the summer who's been a big help for you, and, and of course you mentioned earlier uh, the way that you uh, sort of previewed that Barnsley game uh, was massively was a massive part of of, uh, of what ended up happening and getting that win. Um, in terms of, uh, of, I just wanted to ask about the summer recruitment, really. It's clearly uh, one of the hardest parts of the game, uh, bringing in players and, and getting plenty from them. But uh, when I look down the league, I don't see many teams whose summer signings have been quite as impactful, quite as successful um, as, as yours have been. So I just wondered if that was something that you and, and, your, uh, and your staff and your recruitment team have, 
have spoken about and sort of given yourself a pat on the back and try and recreate that in, in, in windows to come. Because when I look at both the, the, the players in on loan in, in Onya Dinmer and Williams and Morris in midfield, of course, McCarthy at fullback, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a huge success, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, I appreciate the comments. Uh, I wish I had time to sit back and pat myself on the back, but I think uh, I'd probably lose one of my one of my core values of the humility there. So uh, I'm never the finished article. You know, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you you uh, things just click, and and you got to take them as a manager. But um, I'll never sit back and think, yeah, we got that brilliantly right. I'll, I'll always keep working. But but as you say, those boys have come in. They've uh, they've performed so well, and then. I think six years in the game now as a manager, believe me, recruitment is is key. It's if if you if you had to if you had to get one word out of me about what makes a successful football manager, recruitment would be my my top word. Um, that that that's what I've not that's what I've learned over these uh, these years in charge. We all we all think we could change the world with our coaching, and we all think we can uh, we can change the cultures and and work finances fantastic and. I, if you don't get the right players, then you're in trouble. And uh, and so recruitment for me is is absolutely key. We we pride ourselves in working very hard. And and when I say recruitment, I've recruited Josh Hart, the analyst that you alluded to earlier. He's been a big part. He's been a huge part. And then a, uh, another an extra pair of hands in the medical department. All these things, these unsung heroes, as well as the McCarthys and the and the Anya Dimmers, you know, they're they're just as big a part to play. And uh, and I think that um, it's nice to be able to mention. The, the, the unsung sometimes so uh, mm. recruitment's everything for me and, and that's staff and players and a, a bit of a quirk of recruitment over the last few weeks as well with the emergency loans how how do you look back on on the last few weeks with three different goalkeepers coming in from the championship uh, it's it's obviously attracted a lot of interest because it's a very very rare thing uh, and to some it, it you know it seems like you guys have done very well out of it in the sense that you've had some some very good goalkeepers uh, owned by championship clubs come down and help you out but from my point of view surely you know, we're always told that communication between goalkeepers and defenders is so key and, and that relationship. So uh, has it been a, um, a bonus? Has it been a test? You know, how, how do you look back at the last few weeks and the goalies that you've had? Yeah, I, you know, it's been, a, it's been a test for me personally. Um, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a stressful situation with maybe not having a keeper on a Saturday and on, on a Monday and a Tuesday. I think we actually got to Thursday one week. And we still didn't have a goalkeeper for a Saturday game, so that that believe me was stressful for me. But uh, the boys who've come in, um, I think, um, have done brilliant. Matt Ingram, he, he was part of the furniture growing up, and and you know Wickham was his hometown club. He made his name here, so he came in and fit in straight away. David Stockdale, then the week later, that, sorry, we went for David initially uh, and Matt, um, and David was injured, so Matt. QPR, I can't thank you enough, came in for that weekend. They had an international break and they made they made it clear that was only going to be one weekend. So we knew about that one. The next one was the tough one. And and then to get David Stockdale in on that Thursday, uh, just before the game, um, uh, the Shrewsbury game on the Saturday was was a uh, was a test and getting him in. But he was he was a fantastic person. He came in, joined in the culture. Um, this big, big player who's played Premier League, played Championship, big. He came into League One and and made it. No airs and graces about him. Just dug in with the boys, and and you could see immediately the rapport he had. So I was not concerned at all. The only concern I had was the week later when Birmingham said you can't have him again. <laughs> um, 
for no rhyme or reason, but we just couldn't have him. Um, and I know Gary Monk was was uh, was keen. Uh, he was brilliant to, to to get him in the first place. I think there was a there was a decision made higher up, maybe that he couldn't come. So again, we had to look elsewhere. And, and uh, Stephen Henderson again, we we've done our research. We know what a what a great keeper he is. Suffered with a few injuries, but um, once he came in again, he was. The culture seems to swallow people up now. Maybe that is having the big man Akin Femmer who leads that dressing room and, and nobody can come in and, and, and try and run it or be bigger than anyone else. Stephen came in and, and was fantastic and what a performance, you know, on Saturday. And, and I'm hoping we can keep him again. So um, if my keepers don't get fit soon, I'm going to run out of championship clubs here. So <laughs> I'm hoping we can uh, we can keep Stephen Anderson for at least one more week because uh, definitely Ryan Allsop and Eves McAlamby will be out for for our trip to Gillingham on Saturday. So I'm really hoping that uh, Stephen could be in between the goal again because he was uh, he was awesome on Saturday and, uh, and a clean sheet to boot. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been very interesting to follow, that's for sure. Um, the next few weeks as we get towards Christmas and, and towards the new year, it's, uh, it's a slightly different set of fixtures because you've had a, a very tough run, a very successful run. Now you've got uh, Gillingham away, Wil- Wimbledon at home, Burton away and Scunthorpe away. So just lastly, uh, you know, how are you approaching the second half of December? Four games in, what is it, 13, 14 days and uh, different sorts of tests. Where do you hope to be come, uh, come 1st of Jan? Yeah, well... I- I tell you, if my boys even think about turning the gas down a little bit for these games, they will be uh, they will be reminded in the right way that these games are as tough as your Sunderland's, Barnsley's, Peterborough's, and, and Accrington's because it's very easy to get yourselves up sometimes to go to Stadium Light or to to play to a, a, a Barnsley team that are meant to be a Championship last year and meant to be going back up. These these sometimes are easy to get up for. My boys. Better be even even more pedal down for these next four games because it would be easy for us to go right. Gillingham, Wimbledon, let's start counting our points. Absolutely no chance. We're Wickham Wanderers, and the sooner we can get fifty points on the board, the better for me. And and I'll be telling the boys this. And uh, and when you say the first of January, you know, with the t- I think the turning point of the season is Wimbledon. That's the halfway point. So anything above twenty six points uh, is a bonus for me there. And I think. We're on 31 already, so we're five bonus points in the bag. We we just seriously want to get this uh, this total that will keep us in League One. No, no Wickham team stayed up for 20 years, and and to do that, to achieve that, would be would be phenomenal. My boys, I know they think they can achieve more. They want to achieve more, but um, I think I'm I'm uh, I'm doing the right thing, keeping them all down to earth, and and let's let's one step at a time rebuild. And this is a tough league, some tough teams, but uh, at the moment. Things are going really well, and uh, and I'll make sure they keep going that way with the uh, with the, the training and the and the way we go about things. Uh, spot on. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gareth. Congratulations for winning the uh, not quite prestigious, not the top twenty pod uh, team of the week. And uh, yeah, let's hope thank that you. let's hope you win that award again soon, and we can check in again in the coming months. Brilliant to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Gareth Ainsworth for joining us. Before we leave you guys, and thank you so much for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast today, uh, we've got some exciting news because this week, not for the first time this season, George, is a tripod week. That is to say, three podcasts for your listening pleasure this week. And a, f- a foray into the unknown. Is that fair to say with our, uh, with our bonus podcast this week? Definitely, but it's something that hopefully people enjoy it. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, so many games that we can look back at as Potential. well. That's a bit of a clue, a bit of a clue, yeah. So um, hopefully it goes down a treat and we can do more of them going forward. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and it's Wednesday, make sure you're subscribed to Not the Top Twenty Pod because you might have seen that there's something new, a bonus podcast that we're releasing on Wednesday afternoon. It's a look back at one of the most famous EFL games there's ever been. We've put a lot of work into it. Um, we were able to speak to some very, very exciting and knowledgeable people, and we just had loads of fun with it. So uh, make sure you're across Not the Top 20 podcast this week for all your EFL podcasting needs.